Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. Good morning, everyone. May God bless you all. My name is Carlos Altamirano, and I'm going to be doing the reading of scripture today, which is in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Miss Kelly couldn't make it today because she's sick, so I'm covering this spot. Okay, our, praise, our prayer for her. So, um, Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14 says, Greetings from Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am an apostle because that is what God wanted. Greetings also from Timothy, our brother in Christ. To the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. In our praise, we always thank God for you. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank him because we have heard about the faith you have in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. Your faith and love continue because you know what is waiting for you in heaven. The hope you have had since you first heard the true message, the the good news that was told to you. 
Throughout the world, this good news is bringing blessings and it's spreading. And that's what has been happening among you since the first time you heard it and understood the truth about God's grace. You heard it from Epaphras, our dear friend and co-worker. He is a faithful servant of Christ for us. He also told us about the love you have from the Spirit. Since the day we heard these things about you, we have continued praying for you. This is what we pray, that God will make you completely sure of what he wants by giving you all the wisdom and spiritual understanding you need. That this will help you to live in a way that brings honor to the Lord and pleases him in every way. That your life will produce good works of every kind and that you will grow in your knowledge of God. That God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will be patient and not give up when troubles come. Then you will be happy and give thanks to the Father. He has made you able to have what he has promised to give all his holy people who live in the light. God made us free from the power of darkness and he brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. The son paid the price to make us free. In him, we have forgiveness of our sins. Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Jerry. Will you pray with me, please? The words of preparation, which are printed in your bulletin or on your screen. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this last week marked the beginning of my sixth year here at Epworth. I am so grateful for these past five years and the opportunity to have been in ministry here with you. And as I look back, there's so much. We've, we've started um, so many small groups. Some were just for a season. Some have continued just this last Lent. We started nine small groups. And one of those that I convene, the parents group, uh, meets just before worship and continues to be a source of strength and grace to me. And I want all parents to know we meet in the library, so you can join us. We've, uh, we've, we've accepted um, 40 new members in the last five years. We've accompanied 12 uh, individuals, either in, in singles or as families, through the sanctuary Nueva Esperanza ministry in a, in a close kind of accompaniment, in, in, a, in a daily walk, in, in, a, in a number of different ways. One family even living here in the church for a year during the pandemic. Um, we've launched a multifaceted racial justice initiative. And we see evidence of that in the sanctuary today. And I'll talk more about that later in the service about how you can continue to get involved and take action. 
We've added five new Stephen ministers to our vibrant uh, cadre of Stephen ministers. And, you know, there was a, a time, I think it was Ash Wednesday, when the Stephen ministers were, were meeting right before our Ash Wednesday service. And we had, we had just begun the service, and they all came in, and I felt like our own Supreme Court was arriving. <laughs> We've offered 15 different camps for all ages. And we've supported a vibrant children and youth and older adult ministry. We've witnessed to our, our community, our commitments through art. Um, we've even finished the last four years with operating surpluses. So these are just a few of the highlights about all of the many things that are happening here at Epworth. And, and oh yeah, we, we also weathered a pandemic not just by maintenance, but in ways that helped us grow and learn and reach out to our community in brand new ways. I'm so grateful to God and for what God has made possible through Epworth and for the blessing of being on this journey with you. Your service, your commitment, your creativity, your faithfulness, your perseverance, your honest sharing of your joys and sorrows and longings, your mutual encouragements and accompaniments have been key ingredients in all of this. I'm proud to be a pastor of Epworth and I'm proud of you. Thank you. It's so great to look back on the sweep of all of this because I confess to you this morning that the truth is on a daily basis, on a, on a in-the-moment basis, there, there are many times, in fact, sometimes it seems like most times, that I feel inadequate to fulfill all that must be done to respond to the needs of our community and our congregation. I worry that I haven't communicated things well or that I haven't prioritized the right things. One of the benefits of the new hybrid worship uh, age that we're in now, we, you, know, we, you, can, you can participate in worship uh, online, you can do it on Sunday mornings, you can do it later in the week, and one of the benefits of that is that I, I too get to hear many sermons a week. I, I listen to my colleagues preach, and as much as I love hearing them preach online, sometimes I come away comparing myself to them in a negative way and feeling like, well, that, that's, a, that's a level I'll never reach. So, and maybe you, you have similar times when you're faced with the gap between your hopes and your vision and the reality of what is. Well, John Wesley too, and to some extent, his brother Charles felt this sense of inadequacy and the gap between vision and reality. It's part of what drove John and Charles to arise early during their time as young men at Oxford University and study the scriptures and pray and hold themselves and their other group members to strict accountability in their practice of faith. It's part of what drove them to the American colonies. They wanted to do something big and even sacrificial for God. And they hoped for a sense of assurance that they were on the right track. But as you may know, their time in the colonies was not a success. Charles left after less than six months. And John did not last more than two years. 
Moreover, John left under the cloud of some level of scandal. As a woman whom he'd been uh, courting married someone else. And then he vindictively denied her communion while simultaneously refusing to stop trying to visit her. Her new husband, who wasn't John Wesley, wasn't pleased with all of this and wrote out a bill of charges, at which point Wesley decided it was time to get back to England. <laughs> and he got on the next ship. And when he arrived, those who had sponsored his trip said, what are you doing back here? And in, the, in, the, in many ways, in the days that immediately followed the return to England, um, this could have been considered the, the lowest point in John Wesley's life. And when Charles's return to, he, he kind of entered this, this trough of uh, spiritual struggling after the expectations and the hopes of what might happen in the Georgia colony didn't work out as they had imagined. On the way to the American colonies originally on board ship, John Wesley had encountered a group of Moravians, a sect from Germany whom he greatly admired for their persistent faith. And during a furious and dangerous storm at sea, you may know this story, this, this storm that caused the rest of the passengers, including Wesley, to fear for their lives, the Moravians calmly sang songs of faith without concern for what was happening around them. What John witnessed in them, as inspiring as it was, also caused him to feel deeply inadequate. And upon his return to England, the Moravians and their seemingly content and confident faith continued to compel him, but also caused him to question if he had any faith at all, if he was even a Christian. Well, the Moravians believed in instantaneous conversion, which is to say, as Peter Bowler, one of their leaders put it, that in an instant, one could come to an assurance of faith that through the merit of Christ, one's sins are forgiven, that one is loved and reconciled and receive the peace of that insurance. This could happen in an instant. And Wesley began to study this idea and proclaimed it not only scripturally grounded, but presently possible. This idea of instantaneous conversion is so fascinating to me because it does, it does bear some similarity to the Buddhist notion that enlightenment can happen in an instant. It can happen for one just beginning on the path of the Dharma or one that has been following the path for some time. And John Wesley yearned for this kind of assurance, but he didn't believe he had it or had experienced it. And though his brother Charles initially scoffed at this idea of instantaneous conversion, Within a few weeks of hearing this idea, Charles is said to have experienced it himself. Charles was struggling spiritually, and he was sick in bed, and he was said to have sat up and said that he felt a strange palpitation in his heart and proclaimed, I believe, I believe. And he said after that moment, he himself found peace with God. Well, poor John, 
He had not experienced what he yearned for and what others seemed to be talking about. And he, can, he described himself as in a continued state of sorrow. And his brother Charles and, and some of their Moravian friends told him they were praying for him. <laughs> then, three days later, John decides to go to a Moravian Bible study on Aldersgate Street in London. And you likely know this story as well. He enters reluctantly. He's not interested in going to a Bible study that night, but he kind of forces himself to do so. And he finds the group studying Luther's preface to the epistle uh, to the Romans. And as he hears the testimony of the change that God works in the heart through faith, he finds his own heart strangely warmed and understands himself to be in the full grace and love of God. He realizes that the solution to his nagging and sometimes even debilitating sense of inadequacy is to recognize that inadequacy is a given. And he's accepted and loved and forgiven anyway. Our scripture today is from Colossians. And it's the opening verses of the letter to the new Christians at Colossae. And scholars say it might have been written by Paul, or it might have just been written by someone else who was imitating Paul. It uses the same opening form as the letters that have been authenticated as Paul's, opening with the words, grace and peace to you. This was a typical greeting of Paul's and an atypical greeting in a letter at that time in antiquity. But there is enough doubt that, the New Testament, that New Testament scholars continue to debate the question of authorship of the letter to the Colossians. Of course, Paul's letters carried authority and respect, so it's not surprising that if this isn't Paul, the writer who wanted to communicate with the church at Colossae and wanted to be read and wanted to be listened to would imitate Paul. The other side of using Paul's name, of course, is that perhaps the writer didn't feel that their name was enough. Not up to the task. Inadequate. And yet that's what's so interesting about the letter. The letter doesn't describe a state of spiritual struggle such as Wesley went through while wrestling with his sense of inadequacy. The letter is about joy and thanksgiving. We give thanks to God for you, the writer says. We've heard that you have faith in Jesus and that the gospel is bearing fruit in you, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Friends, I give God thanks for you too. And when you are feeling inadequate, flawed, somehow not enough, I implore you to turn towards God's grace that assures you that you don't have to be other than who you are, to live in the abundance of God's grace. In fact, the beauty of God's grace is that we're actually expected to be flawed and imperfect. As Susan said, we're all works in progress. We're not God. God knows that, 
but sometimes we forget it. And when we do hit the mark, it's a gift, not because of our own merit or effort. Now, this might seem like a simple truth, but really, the reality is that it's, it's, it's countercultural and even counterintuitive thinking with the way that the world has taught us to think. The world is always encouraging us to, to put ourselves out there, to be more, to do more, to, to become perfect. But the beauty of this message, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of God's assurance and grace is that that's not necessary. We are who we are created to be in our imperfection, and that is exactly how God loves us. And yet this simple truth that we are wonderfully flawed humans. This is the key to letting go and falling back into the loving and open arms of a savior. In our inadequacy, in our ad- inadequacy we are perfectly adequate. Trust this, believe this. We are justified by faith. It's grace that's brought us safe thus far and grace will lead us home. Amen. Oh, let the Son of God unfold you with His Spirit and His love. Let Him fill your heart and satisfy your soul. Oh, let Him have the things that hold you podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week.